Today's episode of Setting the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Sixty-eight of the Set in the Edge podcast. I'm Justin Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm here with my co-host Charles McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at McDraft2. And we're here with a very special guest from the ringer, Danny Kelly. Say what's up to the people, Danny. What's going on, guys? How are you doing? Good. Uh, I don't think we've actually had an episode since we were sitting around a table in Mobile, Alabama with Eric Galco. <laughs> while this is buddy... a day two senior bowl recap. Yeah. <laughs> day two senior bowl recap. Uh, coming to you three weeks late, and <laughs> I can probably give you as much information now as I could then. So, uh, I'm that's not going to be any help of to anyone. But you know, with the end of the season here, uh, we haven't been here for a while, so we're just going to kind of catch up on off season moves, I guess. And I think the the best place to start off with that is just looking at how all these quarterback dominoes are going to fall. Obviously, we got one with Alex Smith being traded yeah. to. Uh, to the Redskins for Kendall Fuller and it was a third round pick. So it, yeah, early on I said second, but maybe it, maybe it was actually third. I can't remember now. I mean, I just I don't that, that just seems like peak Redskins overpaying move. Like this is what Dan Snyder does, and I just don't know if you're a Washington fan. Like, how do you really get on board with that? Especially considering that Kendall Fuller was one of the best like young slot corners in the game last year. I think PFF had him as. Their number one slot corner, and you know, obviously, if you just go back on Twitter from that day, uh, a lot of guys in Washington yeah. secondary were just really, really upset to see him go. So that seems like a pretty big win for the Chiefs if Mahomes can play like he did in that uh, season finale against Denver next season. I think it's so the Alex Smith thing is two part. It's like two pronged or whatever. Obviously, the trade I think you can kind of figure out because the. Kirk Cousins' relationship is dead. Like, I I don't know if they, like, actually heard officially from Cousins' camp that, like, he's not going to resign there, but why would, why in the hell would he resign there, you know, um, after kind of everything that's happened over the past few years? So I guess I can kind of understand the trade and, like, getting in a guy that would, that would start for you right away and, you know, in theory fits their offense. But then giving him that huge extension was kind of the, the weird thing for me. Like, I don't know. I, I guess it was probably part of like the trade, and, and maybe Alex Smith was involved in it and all that. But I don't know. It just seemed like they went overboard and locked him up for I don't, I don't even know what it was. It was like four more years, or whatever. So they got him for five years now. It's just I don't know why they had to do that. Maybe do like a like a shorter term contract or whatever. And you know the the particulars probably they can get out of it though, right? Like, do we know exactly what the deal is yet? No, I don't think Spotrack has any of the numbers. I went looking for that. And then the Jimmy Garoppolo contract, too. And they don't really have okay. like, the full details on him yet. But, yeah, you're, I, I think you're – see, the the thing is, like, if we're talking about, like, opportunity cost of not starting Colt McCoy for 16 games next year, I think Alex Smith is probably <laughs> worth the money that he got. Right. 
But you didn't have to trade those assets to get someone of Alex Smith's caliber playing quarterback for you. Like, it just seems like extremely petty that, you know, Kirk Cousins and the Washington Redskins (laughs) weren't able to see eye to eye at all after. What are are we on year three or year four of them basically having open negotiations? Right. Well, Washington was petty. It's hard to believe. <laughs> Dan Snyder, no way. <laughs> They're such a well-run organization. I just—it's hard to imagine that so. they've never had any issues in the past, ever. <laughs> and they don't have any issues going on with their trademark or you know, racism stuff like that. Just a perfectly well-oiled machine. Uh, but yeah, unstable. It, it's just such peak Redskins to go out and make a big splash move for someone who there's questions around. You know, I feel like they do this all yeah. the time, whether it's Albert Hainsworth or McNabb, now Alex Smith, Josh Norman, like what what have you. This is this is just kind of what they do. And if you're gonna I will say this, if you're gonna get the Alex Smith just from a efficiency standpoint from this year, this trade's totally worth it because Right, right. Because they had like a like a top four or five passing offense fairly easily this year. But, you know, you're going from Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt, uh, right. to Jordan Reed, maybe, because he's like there half the time, uh, Jameson Crowder, and then that running back committee. So, like, the the weapons are – it's a huge loss for Alex Smith. I do think that Jay Gruden kind of gets underrated as an offensive mind sometimes, but I just don't see how this is going to work out well for Washington because – well, first of all, I don't I don't know if Alex Smith is even better than Kirk Cousins, and then you're just talking about a huge decrease in, in terms of talent around him. So, yeah. I, I feel like this is one that's probably going to backfire in their faces. I think this is an interesting. Just the move itself is kind of interesting, and actually, I don't know if you guys even wanted to talk about AJ McCarron, but we were talking about AJ McCarron in the. We could do a whole the, podcast on AJ McCarron if you wanted. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> We were talking about him in the in the ringer slack today. How he now in I guess we heard today that he is a free agent. So where does he fit into the free agent market? But now, the last time he played was 2015, and he played decently for a backup. Obviously, um, you know. But at the same time, and it's kind of the same situation with Alex Smith. Like there's a little bit of a parallel there, in the sense that that 2015 Bengals offense was perfectly calibrated to get the most out of a quarterback right like they had aj green muhammad sanu uh marvin jones and then uh tyler eifert they had jeremy hill you know um Gio bernard. giovanni bernard i mean they were just freaking stacked they even had burkhead on that roster um plus like one of the best pass protecting offensive lines in the nfl um you know and that was that was the situation in which aj mccarran did pretty well and then if you look at the like you said the chiefs this year you know, their offense was kind of cutting edge for a while. They had a really good run game, rushing champion, Kareem Hunt. You know, you had these two perfect weapons to use in, in the past game in terms of Kelsey and Terry Kill. Um, and, you know, obviously their offensive line wasn't great, but there was a lot of things going on with that offense that, that really got the most out, out of Alex Smith. And you have to wonder, like, is this the outlier of his career or is he actually kind of what we saw this year? It's just... To me, there's so many variables when it comes to that kind of thing. Like when you're paying a premium for a guy who just had the best, you know, year of his career when he's what, 33, that to me is risky. And I just can't see him doing as well next year. I just, it, I mean, maybe he will. And, and the, the Redskins will end up looking really smart here. But like to me, that's kind of the thing. It's like you're paying for what you saw this year, but 
overall his whole career he really hasn't been that guy and and so anyways that that was kind of what reminded me of the aj mccarran thing too it's like he was just you throw him into a perfect situation he could do all right but you know probably a lot of guys could all right, all right so, so we were talking about ringer slack did you were you guys throwing around numbers at all for for what he should how much he's gonna get yeah no not what he I, should, but he will get there's a very <laughs> wide difference between those two numbers no we were mostly talking about like his tattoo or and yeah. or do you count it as more than one tattoo there was some discussion of whether that is one tattoo or multiple tattoos and then there was also kind of went in, went into the conversation of bad-bodied quarterbacks and, and the pantheon of bad-bodied quarterbacks where he fits in um so yeah, we didn't we didn't get into the particulars quite yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, Charles, do you remember this? I don't know how how close you follow college football, Danny. Was it wasn't AJ McCarron? Doesn't he have like a scar on his head from getting hit with like a jet ski when he was like three years old or something? Yeah, I think that's him. That's that's that sounds extremely. That's like eastbound and down like backstory. <laughs> <laughs> he got hit in the head with a jet ski. Uh, And that kind of leads us to our first question from our pal slash contributor, David King. What's going to be the dumbest contract this offseason besides the Jarvis Landry contract? And I think that now with this A.J. McCarron news, this is probably going to take the cake because he could easily get a Mike Lennon deal, you know, like 15 million. 17 million per probably be guaranteed for two years on a roster. He's he's probably going to get. I guess he's probably like with the signing bonus and his salary, he'd probably get like eighteen million dollars this year. Like in this calendar year, he'll get eighteen million dollars, and then he'll be up to his performance. But yeah, I mean, you you got to look like last year. Last year, literally the largest free agent was Mike Glennon. The year before it was Brock Osweiler. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't remember who was the year before that, but there was another quarterback who was pretty awful, who had the highest average salary in the league. I'll check that. Yeah, when I was looking at when that tweet came up, I was looking at the free agent list and I was like, it's gotta be a quarterback. I mean, I guess right now I'm looking at, is someone going to try and coax Jake Cutler back? I you know, mean, someone's going to try. Cause... I, I don't know, nah, man. Cause Gase was his buddy. That seemed yeah. like last option. I'm also wondering if Bradford's going to get a lot of money and then not necessarily like a talent thing, but like, can you trust his knee? Is he going to be healthy and, and play actually? Like that's the other question I'm having. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's gotta be a quarterback who is again, cause I going into last year, do you think any of us were like, Oh yeah, Glennon's going to be the, the big name quarterback. No, that was, that was the weird thing is it, yeah. it really didn't come into the news until, cause the first thing wasn't even, you know, teams are going after Mike Glennon. It was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are about to pay this dude $8 million per year <laughs> and like three years guaranteed to be, you know, Jameis Winston's backup, which was like the weirdest thing ever. Right. And then yeah. it was like, no, they're like in a bidding war with Chicago now. Like Chicago doubled it. It's like what? <laughs> How do we escalate? This That's the other thing about the McCarran thing that like when he signs, we really have to step back and ask like, okay, who are the Browns trying to outbid here? Because it might just be right. them like outbidding themselves for AJ McCarron. Oh yeah, and that totally does happen all the time. I bet. I'm just looking at the list. So I'm I'm on Roto World right now, just looking at their their free agent tracker. So a few guys that I bet you people could talk themselves into. Obviously, Cutler, I already talked about Matt Moore. Oh, uh, yeah. Geno Smith, Tom Savage, Drew Stanton. Uh, Geno Smith, I don't I don't think anyone's going to be talking themselves into <laughs> Geno Smith. <laughs> maybe not, maybe not. Derek Anderson, Chad Henney, Chase Daniel, TJ Yates. I mean, this is, uh, yeah. We talk about it, it. It is a really good 
free agent market for the quarterback position, but after the first few guys go, it's kind of you know it's back to the dregs again. So yeah, I was gonna say it was like it's a good it's a good free agent market, but it's like the second dude is like Kim, right? <laughs> like he's like cousins, and then I guess you know depending on you know your how how you prefer these quarterbacks, either McCarron or Keenum or I guess McCown. I don't know McCown. What's gonna what's what's gonna happen with Bridgewater? That's what I want to know. I feel like he's gonna be back in Minnesota. Just because yeah. you have the relationship between him and Zimmer is so strong. And Zimmer, like, he's kind of seen everything Teddy's been through in terms of right. his rehab and stuff like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets, like, a little one-year prove-it deal. And uh, maybe it's Teddy and a quarterback of the draft to come out, come and duke it out. But I, I think he's going to end up staying in Minnesota. Whether it's a starter, I, I don't know. But I yeah, just feel man. like there, there's been such a bond there between him and the rest of the organization that I would just be kind of surprised if they let him just walk out the door. Yeah, I that think- makes sense. My my hope is that he ends up landing in like New York. So instead of like the Giants, you know, spending the what whatever second or third overall pick, I can't. I think it's second because the Colts are third. Yeah. Um, instead of spending a high pick on that, just like why not take a flyer on Teddy Bridgewater, who's a twenty five year old former first round pick who made a Pro Bowl? Why not? Like, what what what's the what's the negative to just throwing a flyer out to him and signing him to? Because I can't imagine that people are going to be trying to outbid each other without knowing, you know, exactly what the situation with his knee is going to be like, right? Like, he can't – it would surprise me if he signed for more than, like, $5 million per and, like, anything right. more than one guaranteed year. So I think taking a flyer like that with, you know, New York, where they have a relationship with Pat Shermer, I think that's really interesting. But I also think that, like, Latavius Murray should be traded to the Giants, so I don't know. I might be, like, a radical. Latavius Murray? <laughs> Who's going to do that? Field. Dude, Latavius, Latavius Murray would be, like – the best Giants running back in like the last half decade. Just draft someone. Why would you give up a pick for him? Because people were talking about drafting Saquon that high. Oh well. Okay. Oh, at two. Yeah. I mean that's stupid. But... Oh, my my entire like Giants offseason is like, how can we not fuck up pick number two? Because every idea that I've heard of a Giants offseason <laughs> is fucking up pick number two. Yeah, I, mean, I wonder they... if they'll trade out. They should like them. The Colts. Everyone should trade out to like. Just have a bidding war between like the Jets and yeah. uh, Broncos. Just like yeah, we're just you guys fight over these picks. <laughs> and the Bills, because the Bills are in a situation where they can't really pick a quarterback, but they got two first round picks. They got two first, first round picks in the twenties. Yeah. yeah, I mean the Bills, they're gonna they're gonna screw up this draft just because they don't <laughs> they don't believe in Tyrod first of all. Which I mean I guess is fine, but you can't look at that team and say our biggest issue is Tyrod Taylor. When you trade away all your good players, you can't stop anybody on defense. I mean, they had one good offensive lineman. He just retired. So, <laughs> oh, Richie's Richie's good. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. That's true. He's an asshole. But yeah, it's like it's it's shady against the world at this point on offense. I mean, you do you guys think- understand how awful that Charles Clay contract is? I've been working on this project for Send the Edge. Where Danny, you were talking about this. Where you were talking about. Um, the structure of the Alex Smith contract and how the numbers that we get aren't really – they're not like right. real numbers. You know what I mean, they're not tangible. So basically what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at contracts and then just say like, okay, if you could save you know, 60% of uh, a cap hit by releasing a guy, that's when we'll say you know, this officially is like we get into like options basically, right? Where it turns right. into team options instead of guaranteed money. I was looking at that, and I have a I have a spreadsheet. I'll probably post this on Setting the Edge this week, but like Charles Clay, 
is basically got Gronk money guaranteed to be with the Bills, <laughs> and he hasn't made a play in like three years. And it's like by far that second highest paid tight end in the league. It's insane. We need to. I like. I love that idea because we need to change the language that we use with contracts in the NFL, right? Because I know this isn't novel, but guaranteed doesn't mean guaranteed, and there's several versions of guaranteed. Right. You know, it's just that that word doesn't make any. It doesn't mean anything to me anymore. I don't. Yeah. It's like, you know, everyone still says it because I think you know it sounds good and and uh, you know, like the team wants to sound like they're getting a deal or whatever. And, and then the agents want to sound like they got their guy, the best deal. So it's like, everyone's talking about guaranteed money and how little or a lot it is. And it's just like, it doesn't make any sense. We, yeah. we need to make up new, like whole new words around it, whole new language. I agree. And I think a good place that we just saw it was the Jimmy G contract where people are freaking out. Oh, you know, it's five years, yeah. it's 135. And I think it was like 74 guaranteed, but you know they're gonna throw forty million of that in the first year. So if he sucks after like the first two years, then <laughs> you can easily. San Francisco had like a hundred and eleven million dollars. Awesome. Yeah, it, it's it's what they want. It's what the Raiders did with the uh, Kalechi Assembly deal, where they're just gonna throw, you know, about half of that in year one. And if it doesn't work, at, if it doesn't work out after uh, the first two years, you can move on with like a pretty small penalty. So. I think when we freak out about these numbers, it just, I don't know if there's enough information being relayed back to the fan bases where you don't have to look at every single contract as this is the end of the world. Oh, Jimmy G's only played seven games. Well, yeah, he's only played seven games, and I I think you can feel pretty good on your bet based on the seven games, based on your, like, pretty good on your investment based on the seven games. But if he stinks this year, then you only used up like you didn't even use up that much of your cap space, even though it's like a forty million dollar hit. Like they still they're still working with about seventy million dollars for free agency yeah. in the draft. They so. have like seventy four left, which so, is still- so. If he sucks this year, who cares? Like it, it doesn't even matter really for the future of their franchise. But people freak out about that that number seventy four guaranteed, one hundred thirty five total. It's always funny because it seems fans. It's almost like fans feel like it's their money, right? <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like the the 49ers are going to be paying him. You realize that? Like, we're not paying his contract. I don't know. It's always just kind of a funny thing, especially when you're talking about, you know, that much cap space left. They're not going to spend all that in year, in this year. No way. They'll, they'll probably go into the year with $50, 40000000 million to spare. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not Madden where you can just go out and trade for, like, Julio Jones and A.J. Green and have a stacked roster. Like, you you, you kind of got to, like, stack these uh, cap hits. And, you know, it, and that's a, that's a good point where the fans think it's their money. Like, why do you care how much <laughs> some, some billionaire owner wants to spend on one player? Like, it's not your money. You're just sitting on the couch drinking beer and being fat. Like, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> Yeah, so it's always you, funny. The The reactions on Twitter are really predictable. It's always like, oh, my God. Freak out, and then you start to realize, oh, okay, this actually makes sense. It doesn't matter. Uh, so where do you guys think McCarron's going to end up? I, Cleveland. In, Cleveland? Absolutely. Yeah. Man, they're, I feel like they're about to blow this offseason. I just I just don't trust anything <laughs> anything going on there at all right now. I mean, when... Uh, it's going to be Darnold number one, and then... McCarron being the veteran because they were scared off by because that's what like Kaiser and all those guys were saying that there's no veteran I wish someone would have led here so like 
obviously the team is going to swerve the other way because that's what NFL teams do. It's like, oh, we did one thing, we didn't like it, so we have to completely pivot 180 and do the entire opposite. So now we have to go sign AJ McCarron for $17 million per year. Yeah. Have you guys, okay, I don't think people, I was I was doing yesterday, I wrote, well, it went up today at the Ringer, um, and it's kind of just like an intro to the draft for people that haven't really been paying attention, but like for people that haven't been like paying that close of attention, the Browns have an absurd amount of early round draft picks. Right. They've got number one and number four. Uh, was it the first two or first two out of three in the second round? And then the last one in the second round and the first one in the third round. Yeah, I mean, that's why I, don't like I think it. it's like it's very hard for them to. It's I mean, Dude, they, like they they've have done every this before, chance though. to dominate. They've done this before multiple it's times. It's the Browns. You yeah. had Richardson and Whedon in the same year, and then you went, you doubled down yeah. in 2014 with Gilbert and Manziel. Like, it would not be weird for them. <laughs> what, Charles, what's the worst combination that you could think of for number one and number four? So it would obviously, I, I think we would have to be Josh Allen, right? Josh, Josh Allen, Allen one. Josh Allen one, Saquon four would would be. I would be jumping off a cliff. If I was a Browns. Is, Sa- is Saquon? Would you rather have Saquon or Marcus Davenport, the UTSA pass rusher? At four. Yeah. In terms of like People the still worst. Talking about him there. In terms of the worst things we could do, it'd have to be Davenport, just because he's not even close to being ready to be a top five pick. But right, because Saquon gives you at least like a floor. Right. The problem is like okay, you have Duke Johnson and Saquon Barkley now. You got the same player. Congrats. Yeah, you, you. I mean, maybe not the same player, but like the same style of play. You could have, you can run the same plays with those guys, and they're not using Duke Johnson enough anyway. So right, Duke yeah, Johnson. The Browns have, they've been like a pretty good run team anyway, and it hasn't helped. Yeah. Well, that yeah, that, that, they spent a hundred. What was it? They spent two hundred million dollars on an offensive line. Like, yeah. I don't know, man. This shit doesn't make sense. There's some missing pieces here. I'm not it, really. It understanding. does make sense if you. Okay, just if you look back. And I, I'll get I'll get a, a doc, but I have like all the uh, adjusted net yards per temp value from like 2017 to 1970. Now, dude, the Browns this past team season it was one of the worst passing offenses in NFL history. So, uh, <laughs> if you look at that, it kind of makes sense why they won zero games despite having a competitive offensive line and a competitive defense. Uh, and I I still think it's kind of funny that run defense, run defense. Run defense, right? right? Excuse me, run defense. But even like in terms of like y- yards per play and stuff, like they were about league average. So, uh, I, I mean, it's just they're the Browns. But uh, it's so funny when you say Deshaun Kaiser was saying that they need more leadership. Like, isn't that what your head coach is there for? Like, he's been around the game forever, and you got no leadership in that building. And then you know they have enough talent where they shouldn't be going zero and sixteen or one and thirty one over a certain time yeah. frame. So. I I mean I'm it's it's what February fifteenth and I'm still I'm still expecting Hugh Jackson to get fired at like any second. I just can't believe that he <laughs> held on to his job. What what is your guys' view of the best case scenario for one and four? For one and four? Oh, trade out, get Lamar because the NFL doesn't like Lamar, or take Baker. I think those are the two. I don't know, I don't know where Charles is with the other quarterbacks, but take- I think those two are my top two quarterbacks. See, I, I'm I'm more I'm at the point where I just take Baker, Lamar, Rosen, number one, and then number four. I would probably be trying to either trade out or take Mika Fitzpatrick and right. Go That's from what there. I was thinking. Just because I think when you look at the Browns' defense outside of like a deep safety, and which they just 
punted a first round pick on last year. Like the only thing they're really missing is is some speed on the outside. And you know, Jason McCourty just had a pretty good year. You're out, you're out on BBC? No, I said on the outside. So he's a slot oh. corner. Uh, so I, I think Jason McCourty had uh-huh. had a he had a good season last year, but obviously he's on the older side. And you don't really want to bank on that long term. So you know, if if Minka runs well at the combine, which he definitely should. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see teams try him out at cornerback just because I think that's the more valuable position. But I would probably keep it at safety long term. But you know, if he comes out and balls at the combine, he has like the size and the, the length that teams like. He's probably like Jalen Ramsey style. Yeah, except Jalen actually had like a full season at corner before coming in, and Minka's only right. really played safety. So that's that's where it gets kind of interesting to me. But uh, you know, I, I, think, I, I, think, I think Mike Renner. He had like 17 snaps on the outside all year, something like oh, that. Alan Tate beat him up, beat him up a little bit in that opener against Florida State, which is like the only game that Alan Tate actually got to like do anything in because that was when he had like a functional quarterback. So I don't know. It's, a, it's definitely a weird evaluation for sure. I just want to say, like, if Nick Saban says you're a safety, then let's just stick it. Keep him people, people were saying that they're like, yeah, they like Nick Saban calls him like his son and he's like Nick Saban's best friend. And I'm like, that's <laughs> all I, like, this is, this is a very easy evaluation of Mika Fitzpatrick. He's very good. And he plays like Harrison Smith. Like you fi- you'll figure it out at some point. Yeah. Uh, so with that, let's just jump right into these mailback questions. Cause I don't really think we have too much else to talk about. So, uh, we already answered one from David Kang. Uh, the, first, the next question from another Sudden Edge contributor, Ryan Kieran. What team is a key signing away from a big leap? Uh, I mean, Jacksonville's the easy one, right? Yeah. I mean, Jacksonville is the obvious one because of the whole, you know, the Burles factor and all that. If if he can pass his physical and they cut him, that would be probably ideal for them. <laughs> and then, you know, go after Cousins or whatever and, and win a Super Bowl. But I kind of think you have to include the Vikings in there too, just because we don't know what their situation is at quarterback. Right. We can't assume that they're going to get Keenum or Bridgewater back. I guess it's most likely going to happen, but um, I don't know. Do you count the Vikings as a team, even though they had a quarterback last year? Yeah. Um, Um, The thing about the Vikings is it's kind of, we were talking with our friend Arif Hassan about this mm -hmm. and I didn't realize how many guys, not this year, but next year that the Vikings have that are free agents and need like massive deals, basically like all like that whole like Anthony Barr class of guys, all right. of those guys are gonna have to re up for new new money. So unless they like super front load a quarterback contract, I wonder how they're gonna be able to compete for the Kirk Cousins race. But if I mean shit, if Case Keenum's gonna get eighteen million dollars per year for being Case Keenum. Like, why wouldn't you be in the Kirk Cousins race at the same time? I don't, I don't know exactly. what to think of this quarterback market, to be honest. Like, we're going to learn a lot about how the NFL works this offseason. Yeah, and I I'm feel just, like we're not going to be happy with a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at the just looking at the NFL at large. There, I don't know if there are that many teams that are just a quarterback away right now. I mean, I think the Jags are the, the obvious one. But, I mean, going down the list, the Bills, no. Dolphins, no. Jets, no. I mean, I guess you could say maybe the Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're they're stuck. Who's he yeah. gonna throw to? Gonna <laughs> That's throw true. To I mean, quarterback like the the Ravens still have like the it, Danny. If you ever get a chance, go look through uh, the Baltimore Ravens draft history for wide receivers. <laughs> yeah. Like they haven't hit 
one receiver in the entire history of that damn franchise. They, they legit have not hit on one. They're, they're all-time leading receivers. Like their their best pick was, like, Mark Clayton, who, like, oh, people wow. still bust. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Their top, yeah, the Ravens' top two receiving leaders in terms of yards are Derek Mason and Todd Heap, so. Wow. <laughs> there you both, go. They both have, like, 5,000 yards apiece for that franchise, which just kind of tells you how horrific they've been. <laughs> drafting receivers uh let's see the next question uh from dave sims breakfast blog at tweet game nasty <laughs> Sorry. tweet game nasty that's good <laughs> if the seahawks don't settle things long term with earl thomas is the seahawks run officially over would danny that. cry <laughs> i hate the idea of them trading earl thomas like that doesn't make any sense to me he's Still in his prime. He just wants a new contract. He just wants some money. Like, give him the money. It's not that hard. I, I don't understand the idea that the Seahawks need to trade him. I think literally what he wants is a new contract that pays him, you know, among the top safeties in the NFL because he's one of the best safeties in the NFL. It's it's not that complicated. If they did it, I think it would suck. Number one, they like the Seahawks defense, I mean, they, they managed a little bit better. Um did he miss any games? Actually, I can't remember if he missed any games now this year. I don't year, think he but missed think... any game this year. I think he was the only one that didn't miss any games. Yeah. Well, he certainly was the last one to finish the year. Um, I think they could figure out how to manage with him a little bit better than they did in the end of 2016 when he went out and the defense literally fell apart. It was night and day. They, I mean, legitimately went from like a top, top five defense to, I want to say they were ranked like 31st in DVOA or something like that over the yeah. last whatever games he missed. They so were, it uh, literally fell apart. Yeah, so for that stretch, they were they were fifth in pass defense DVOA up until he got hurt, and then after that, they were 30th in the league. So, mm-hmm. which is just because I remember uh, when they had that when Atlanta played them in that playoff game, and I was like, it's you just never see it this easy to throw the ball against mm-hmm. Seattle. So I don't know if you're Seattle, how you can watch or have that how your 2016 season ended in the back of your mind and think that you should be okay with letting him go. Um, yeah. I think that if you did let him go, it'd probably take, what, like a high second-round pick at least to get him? At least. At least. So and so you guys were talking about Saban and Fitzpatrick and kind of, you know, their best friends and everything like that. Here in Seattle, we always talk about how... So Pete Carroll, you know, he started out as a DB's coach back in the day. He was a safety when he played at wherever it is he played. And he's always been kind of just this DB's guy. That's 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 how his mind works. And, and so everyone talks about how, well, not everyone, but I've heard it talked about um, that Earl Thomas is kind of like Carol's avatar. Like, that's who he wants to be. That's like, you know, when, when you're coaching up a guy, like, that's he's the ideal player in the Pete Carroll defense in my mind. And I think a lot of people feel that way. So, I don't know. It's just like if... If Carroll, I mean, I cannot see Carroll deciding to trade away, you know, potentially one of the best players in the NFL and at a, such an important spot, you know, in his defense where, you know, the reason they can do what they're doing and, and be so good against the run and so good against the pass is because they can play three deep. They can play eight in the box or whatever. And, um, you know, they can still not let you pass the ball over their head because because of what Earl Thomas does. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see them doing it. If they did, I think it would be a bad decision. And it kind of would probably signal to me like they were sort of 
not punting, but like rebuilding is like I've resisted the the idea that Seahawks are rebuilding just because I still think they have a ton of talent on defense. But um, if they did trade old Tomlinson, then it would look to me like a little bit more of a like a true rebuild. Yeah. What, what do you think of like the Richard Sherman? I mean, the Richard Sherman trade rumors start up time every year. And yep. then now there's rumor like Michael Bennett seems to be playing perfectly fine as far as I'm concerned. Um, I yeah. went and graded him for uh, NFL 1000. I'm still like, this guy's still a top 10 defensive end. You look at his numbers, his tackles at the line of scrimmage, he's still out there, especially when you consider how many snaps he's playing. Um, so, like, people have talked about him being released and stuff. Like, what – I just – like, do they just need to get under a cap number? Like, their cap situation doesn't seem to be awful. I, I just don't understand why all these rumors are starting or if it's just, you know, big egos, big personalities just maybe yeah. bumping into each other or what – well, what's your perception of of that? I think it's a little bit it's a little bit to do with the cap because I don't they their cap situation isn't great. I think I looked at it the other day and it was I want to say like fourteen million or something like that going into next year. Um, that'll improve a little bit when I think they're going to release Jeremy Lane, which I think saves seven million or something like that, three million to seven million. And there's a couple other guys that are. Uh, like Cliff Averill probably end up being released, and and so there's it'll go up a little bit, but they're still kind of tight, especially when you're talking about potentially re-signing Sheldon Richardson. Um, they don't have a starting corner it, opposite Chad Griffin if Sherman is going to be out at the beginning of the year, you know. So there's some things to do, and I, I think you just look at Michael Bennett; he's a little bit older. I think that's probably the main thing, and obviously, um, you know, his sack numbers is her sack numbers weren't like up there, but I, I think you're right. Like he was one of the, I don't know what it was, what, what rank he was, but he was up there in pressure rate. I think this year among defensive linemen, he still gives you a lot of pass rush from the three tech technique position. And so, I mean, I, I don't, I don't advocate that they get rid of him. I don't think his do. cap number is that bad either. You just want him on the Falcons. That's yeah. Why. That's it. My own <laughs> selfish needs and wants. Uh, so cut him, let him uh, reunite with Dan Quinn and uh, let's go. Have one of the best defensive lines in the league. That's that's really all I want. Uh, but you know, all things must come to an end. And I like you. I like Mina. But uh, I gotta <laughs> say, it'd be pretty nice to see Seahawks Twitter just eat one because that's gotta be the weirdest fan group. On. Feels like feels like they Seahawks Twitter already kind of did like go off the rails a little bit this year you know missing the playoffs for the first time in five or six years or whatever it was and you know there's just people are kind of losing their marbles a little bit yep uh so i think we have one more question which is just very dumb and kind of stupid but that's kind of what we live for uh (laughs) this is by charles cook at upchuck underscore Two-part question. A, when is the appropriate time to wet your toothbrush before <laughs> or after applying the toothpaste? B, why does it even matter if drinking coffee is bad for tooth enamel, tooth enamel anyways? Thanks. Are those related? Like, are those the same question? or It's, it's so yeah. So let's answer first, A. For, for A, you wet your toothbrush after you put the toothpaste on. Agree. Why? Uh, is, there any, is there a disagreement there, Charles? I do both before toothpaste and then before wedding. and after. Yeah. Wow, that's thorough. No, I'm. I, I'm I, saw, I saw this debate on Twitter today, and I didn't know. I I didn't. I like wasn't aware. I wasn't <laughs> yeah, aware like, that there were, there were people who just put toothpaste on and then got it wet. 
<laughs> I had no clue. Yeah, that's where I am. I didn't know this was actually like a thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's obviously it's obviously you apply toothpaste first, wet it, and then then you you know go and then. I would just say, in terms of the coffee question, just don't brush your teeth immediately after drinking coffee. Isn't that kind of the Surgeon General's recommendation or whatever? You mean don't drink coffee immediately after brushing your teeth? Is it that way around? I can't. I don't. I I always heard that like coffee softens up the enamel, so you don't want to brush your teeth immediately right after. Uh, I don't know, but I feel like if you're gonna do one, why why would you? But then, drink then you're coffee walking around and brush your teeth. Coffee, right? Yeah, because then, I I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't know. I feel like the taste would be nasty if you brush your teeth and then drink a big cup of coffee. I feel like, yeah, I don't know what it, I don't actually know. Because maybe now I'm, like, rethinking it. Maybe it's when you brush your teeth, it, like, hurts the enamel, and then it, you're more liable to get stained teeth. I don't know. <laughs> this, is, this is important. This is important stuff. This is this is like draft Twitter when like medical evaluations come out. They're like no no no, no no. This is patellar. You don't understand. Like I looked up this Wikipedia page and it told me that it says LCL too, which I have no idea how that affects anything. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a dentist, but either way, I need my coffee and I need to brush my teeth. So I'm yeah. gonna do both. Uh, so I think that's gonna wrap it up. Yeah, before we let you go, you wait, hold well, up. No. We gotta give people. Uh, we gotta give people a homework assignment. We gotta ask Danny. Uh, you said you just got into the, into this draft class, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm basically digging in. I've been digging in over the last about month now. So I feel like I'm pretty behind everybody. But, but yeah. Uh, you who who's the most obscure? Like, what's the most obscure player that you're aware of so far? Oh, geez. That's a good question. You know who I was looking up, and and this tells you how, where I am, um, in the draft process. But there was a I saw on Mike Mayock's top five rankings, he put the Washington tight end. I think his name was Disley. Who? Um, yeah, Will Disley. He, he's like their he's like their backup tight end or something. Too. Yeah, he put them as their number his number five tight end, and I was like, okay, I can see that because he's a big dude. You know, I saw him. I mean, I didn't. I don't watch. Uh, college football live all that much. I usually come back and and watch kind of you know the cutups and everything. And I remember watching one of the UW games this year, and I was like, okay, this guy's got like an NFL. He he's huge and he can move. So it was kind of to me, it was like, oh, that was interesting. You know, Mike Mayak obviously sees something in this guy, and like you don't you can't find anything on Disley right now. Like there are no scouting reports out there yet. So I've never even heard of him. Yeah, I wonder if he's gonna maybe because of Mayak's you know vouching for him or whatever his i thought i wonder if he could touch yeah he's going to shoot up draft boards so they say right. that that's the, that's the homework for our listeners then is just add us with with disley scouting reports then <laughs> don't don't at me i'll block you uh, i'm not i'm not even vouching for disley either all i know is i remember seeing him play this year and being like oh that guy's interesting so when i saw <laughs> mayox thing that that's as far as my scouting report goes <laughs> Very thorough, very thorough, yeah. as we expect around here. Uh, anything that you're working on you want to let the people know about before we let you go? Uh, right now, no, I'm just kind of studying the draft. I'm sure I'm going to do probably tomorrow and into next week. I'll, I'll be starting to work on some NFL free agency stuff, kind of like you know, best free agents in, in every position, all that stuff. And I actually really like this time of year because I'm OCD about making lists and stuff. And so 
it's kind of a fun part of the year in terms of just kind of taking a bigger picture look at the NFL. All right. But uh, I don't I don't have anything specific lined up yet. Perfect. Uh, so let's conclude episode sixty eight of Set the Edge. We'll be back with number sixty nine. Nice. Uh, next week and we might just end the podcast there honestly just 69 episodes would be perfect <laughs> uh, but yeah 5 stars on iTunes we'll be back with a vengeance more cool guest as we roll along uh, see y'all next week